a pastor friend used to tell the story of a man who was trying to get life insurance and the agent that was interviewing him asked, how old is your father? And the man said he died of 39 of a heart attack. And um, the agent said, how old is your mother? And the man said, she died at 42 from cancer. And the agent said to him, you will never get life insurance because of your family health history. And so he thought about it for a while, and then he called another agent, and he set an appointment. That agent asked, how old is your father? The man said he died at 93. The agent said, how? Well, he got hit by a car while jogging. Well, how old is your mother? Well, she died at 98. Well, how did she die? Well, the parachute didn't open while she was skydiving. I think the man overdid it while trying to solve his problems. Last Sunday, we began a series of messages called Surviving and Thriving from the Life of Joseph. And Joseph's life was full of ups and downs, and yet he remained committed to God in the good times and the bad. And uh, the bad times were pretty severe, as we will begin to see today in our message Surviving and thriving in times of trouble. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I'd like to quote from an article I wrote in October of 1988. I begin, it was one of those statements that we preachers make far too frequently. It was off the cuff and far too flippant. I didn't realize just how flippant it was until recently. Almost four years ago, I was addressing the whole subject of suffering and specifically the topic of suffering for the sake of righteousness. During this time, I said something like, Satan attacks those who are making a difference for the Lord. If you aren't suffering, maybe it's because you aren't making a difference. After the service, uh, one of our members approached me with a piercing question. She asked, Steve, would you say that you are suffering? And I thought for a moment of my healthy family, my comfortable home, my friends, and our warm and caring congregation, and then I answered honestly, no, I guess I'm really not suffering. Her next question cut even deeper. Does that mean you aren't making a difference? She wasn't poking fun or scolding. She really seemed to need to know. And before I could continue, she went on. The reason I ask is I'm not suffering either. I don't know if that means I'm not making a difference or if possibly there are times when we make a difference without suffering. We talked a little longer about the subject, not really resolving the matter. The article goes on. I thought of this conversation the other day as I sat in the UCLA Medical Center with my four-month-old daughter, Kayla. Kayla was born with a rash from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. The rash was so severe, there was not a place on her entire body that you could place a fingertip without touching a blister. At first, they believed it was a skin disorder that would clear up and not return. And in fact, it did partially clear up. It was while we were returning from vacation, we began to notice Kayla's skin breaking out again with the same rash. A series of tests confirmed the fears of the doctor. Uh, our daughter was suffering from histiocytosis, a very rare blood disease. 
Suddenly we were faced with the realities of chemotherapy and years of treatment and possible permanent damage and even the chance that our beautiful baby would die. I wrote, I confess I don't have a biblical theology of suffering all nailed down in my head. I'm not sure I'm objective enough at this time. I do know Satan uses suffering to try to stop us, to turn our dependence upon ourselves, or to cause us to blame God. As many of you know, our daughter struggled with her terrible disease for several years. In those years, she endured weekly chemotherapy, a major brain surgery at the age of three, and she spent about half of her life in the hospital, and she succumbed to her illness at age four and a half. For Jill and I, that was a major time of trouble, but it wasn't our only time of trouble. We've dealt with serious financial problems and family illness and death, and we've been betrayed by close friends, and we have encountered unexpected unemployment, and we have discovered hurtful family secrets and many other things. I wish I weren't, but I guess I am qualified to bring this message, surviving and thriving in times of trouble. You see, I have faced firsthand the decision whether to go on or to give up. I have faced discouragement and disappointment with people and even with God, and some of it more recently than I'm comfortable admitting. And many of you, like me, know that what I'm saying is true. Many hearing this message today know what times of trouble are. I'm not, I'm not talking about petty problems or setbacks or inconveniences. Some of you have had your hearts absolutely broken. Something has happened that changed your life forever or made you feel like you just couldn't go on or made you wonder if the tears and the pain would ever stop. It may have been a death or a divorce or a disease or a disability. It may have been the revenge of a friend or the abuse or addiction of a family member or the reversal of something that you thought would be great. Some of you sit here absolutely broken, knowing how devastatingly painful life can be. And sometimes the Christian world hasn't helped much. I mean, the Christian world often gives trite, simplistic answers to complex problems and pain. Some have implied or directly taught that if you're truly spiritual and godly, you won't have any problems. They say that if you have enough faith, if you name it and claim it, God will give you victory over every pain and every problem. And the main problem with that is the Bible never teaches that. The Bible does not teach that as true. In fact, it seems to teach the opposite. Look at this passage from Psalm 34. It says, the righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue each time. And John 16 says, uh, Jesus said, I told you these things so that you can have peace in me. In this world, you will have trouble, but be brave. I have defeated the world. And then 2 Timothy 3 says, anyone who belongs to Christ Jesus and wants to live right will have trouble from others. Joseph certainly found that people who try to follow God fully aren't immune from troubles. 
Last week, we talked about Joseph's dysfunctional family. Joseph grew up with a father who was self-centered and deceptive and uh, in a blended family that included a lot of jealousy. We talked about how Joseph's dad played favorites and uh, gave Joseph as the favorite this uh, special coat that would declare him to be the favorite. And his brothers hated him because of that and uh, also because he had these two dreams that uh, had his brothers bowing down to Joseph. And you can read today's passage from Genesis 37. It's verses 12 through 36, and you can read that later. But rather than reading the lengthy scripture text, let me summarize what we read there. Jacob, Joseph's father, sends him to check on his brothers who were uh, tending the sheep. And Joseph goes looking for them, and he finally finds them near Dotham. His brothers see him coming, and they say, let's kill the dreamer. One brother, Reuben, says, no, no, let's not kill him. Let's just put him in a pit. And so they tear off his robe and they put him in a pit. And then the scripture says they sit down to eat a meal. Now, you're probably pretty evil and callous if you can throw your brother in a hole in the ground and then sit down to eat a meal. And that reminds me of something. A mob will sink to the level of the lowest participants. People on a picket line or in a protest will do things that they would never do if they were alone. Young people in a group will do things together that they wouldn't think to do alone. And that's why st spring break can be so dangerous. Losers in a locker room will do things that they would never do alone. And this is why being careful of the company you keep is so important. That's why spending time with people who are really striving to follow Jesus is such an important thing. So Joseph is in a pit, and his brothers are enjoying a leisurely meal, and then they see a caravan, a caravan of people heading to Egypt. And the people are merchants, and so they decide to sell their brother Joseph to these people to be a slave. After they sell him, his brothers take his special garment from their dad and they dip it in animal blood. And then they take the robe to Jacob and they say, this isn't your son's, is it? They allow their father to believe that a wild animal has killed Joseph. Meantime, Joseph is sold in Egypt to a man named Potiphar, who was the captain of Pharaoh's guards. He was very high up in the government. And Joseph definitely was in a time of trouble. And from this story, we can find three brief but important lessons. First, the life of Joseph teaches us to remember prosperity is temporary. Prosperity is temporary. Joseph had it pretty good up to this point. He was the child of a wealthy father. He was the firstborn of his father's favorite wife. His father showered him with expensive gifts and didn't make him work very hard. He had it pretty good. And that might be true for some of you also. I mean, you have it pretty good. 
Life has been going well for you. No one close to you has been seriously ill and no one you love has died. You grew up in a wealthy family or a godly family and you have no physical or financial limitations or pressures. And if you are having a time of prosperity, that's great. That's really good. Enjoy it. But don't ever get used to it. Don't get used to it. Don't ever forget that prosperity is temporary. It is not normal to spend your whole life without pain and problems. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he, God, makes the sun shine on both good and bad people, and he sends rain for the ones who do right and for the ones who do wrong. Have you ever thought about how quickly the tides of fortune change? I mean, things are going great. And then suddenly there's an indescribable chest pain. Or the phone rings and the voice on the other end says, there's been a terrible car accident. Or she says, I think I found a lump. Or the boss says, we have to let you go. Or maybe you have a lot of important plans for a really amazing year and then there's a global pandemic that changes absolutely everything. Prosperity is temporary. And this is a lesson that Joseph learned in his time of trouble that we dare not forget even when things are going well. Suddenly, without warning, the favorite son of a wealthy father was in a pit, hatefully attacked by his brothers and sold into slavery. Suddenly, he was a slave. Secondly, the life of Joseph teaches us, be prepared for times of trouble. It teaches us to be prepared for times of trouble. Jacob, Joseph's father, should have anticipated this problem might happen. He knew that uh, there was hostility between his sons. And he knew that his other sons hated Joseph. And so sending Joseph to check on them was very unwise. And as parents, we ought to think before we send our kids into situations that they might not be able to handle. Some of you are getting ready to send your kids to college. A study I read from 2017 said up to 70% of college students walk away from their faith when they leave home for college. College is a really rough place to follow Jesus. And parents need to prepare their kids for the attack on their faith that will take place. And this starts long before they graduate from high school by keeping them active in student ministry at church and in serving Jesus and not just active in sports and extracurricular activities. But another important factor is to help them find a church or a campus ministry close to whatever university they attend. We need to prepare our kids for times of trouble, for peer pressure uh, that will take place and for the temptations they will face. I heard a basketball coach say every player he had on his team overestimated his own skill by one level and that the parents of those players overestimated their child's skill by at least two levels. I believe we do the same thing spiritually. We overestimate our own level of spirituality and we way overestimate our children's level of spiritual development. Now, Joseph will eventually learn to prepare for trials, 
but it was too late this time. We need to be prepared because problems are going to come. Problems are going to come. I don't golf, but I'm told if you want to be a great golfer, you have to practice the sand traps. Do you know why? Because you're going to get in them. What will you do when you get into one of life's sand traps? Will you be ready for it? Decide now what you will do because it's going to happen. Look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, my friends, do not be surprised at the terrible trouble which now comes to test you. Do not think that something strange is happening to you. Times of trouble are normal for people who follow Jesus and also normal for people who don't follow Jesus. Don't be surprised by painful times. Be prepared for times of trouble. Lastly, the life of Joseph teaches us to continue trusting God. To continue trusting God. Joseph could have given up. I mean, it would not have been easy for a new slave. He would have had to learn respect, and he would ha wouldn't have much to eat or drink, and he would have absolutely no privacy, and he was in a strange country and a strange culture, and he would have to learn a different language. And how did he react to all of this spiritually? Probably the same way that you and I would. I mean, he didn't understand. He may have felt that God was silent or that God had deserted him. I mean, even Jesus felt that way on the cross. Remember, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet even in these bad times, God was faithful to Joseph. Look at Genesis chapter 39, verses 2 through 4. It says, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Joseph was miles away from home, but God was at home with him. Joseph stayed faithful to God and God remained faithful to Joseph. And you need to know, God never left Joseph. God was with him even when Joseph didn't feel like God was there. You may be struggling right now during this time. I mean, during this pandemic, it may seem like God is gone and that your prayers are going unanswered. You can't understand why God isn't stepping in and stopping all of this. And you feel like God is far away, that he's abandoned you. And even in these times, especially in these times, you can trust God. He is here. Even when you don't feel him, and even when it seems like uh, everything seems to be falling apart, you might not understand him, but you can trust him. So Joseph's life teaches us to remember that prosperity is temporary, to be prepared for times of trouble, and to continue trusting God. May I conclude by quoting the end of that article that I wrote in 1988? Here's what I wrote. Clearly Satan wants me to get mad, to shake my fist at God, and to quit serving him. Well, let me make this clear. I will not quit. How can I? 
if famine, nakedness, peril, and powers of hell, death, and disasters can't separate me from the love of God, how can I think of letting even my most serious concerns separate me from serving him? If he has given his life to rescue me from sin, how can I refuse to give my life in service to him? He has been faithful to me, and I will remain faithful to him. As long as he gives me breath, I will seek to preach his word, to practice his ways, to proclaim his will. Uh, I will do my best to help his church, to heal his children, to heed his call. Am I strong? No, but he is. Do I know what will happen? No, but he does. Am I adequate? No, but he is. Do I understand? Not at all, but praise God, he does. Will we give up? Not a chance. If that's what Satan wants, he will be sorely disappointed. No matter the outcome, I plan to work harder, to pray longer, and to preach stronger so God's kingdom will grow larger as people are saved by Jesus and begin to serve him. Whatever the difficulty in your life, don't stop. Whether you are faced with disease, debt, divorce, dandruff, disaster, or even death, don't give up, don't drop back, don't slow down. Attend church, study God's word, spend time in prayer, share your faith, give your offerings, go to growth group, serve King Jesus. Let's make Satan ashamed for thinking that we would turn and run at the sight of suffering. Let's show him that we will firmly and faithfully stand with Jesus our Savior in pain and in pleasure. Let's show him not only do we intend to not slow down, but also we intend to speed up, pushing persistently forward to accomplish God's plan. Let's carry Paul's words as our banner. We have troubles all around us, but we are not defeated. We do not know what to do, but we do not give up the hope of living. We are persecuted, but God does not leave us. We are hurt sometimes, but we are not destroyed. We carry the death of Jesus in our own bodies so that the life of Jesus can also be seen in our bodies. And then from Galatians 6, let us not grow weary of doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we do not give up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will give us the strength to trust you even when we don't feel you close by. We pray, Father, that you will give us the strength to continue to serve you, to love you, to follow you faithfully, even in difficult times. Father, we thank you so much that you have promised to be with us all the time, that you have promised that you will never leave us, that you will never abandon us, that you are with us in the good times and the bad times. Father, during this difficult time, we pray that you will be especially close to us, that we might understand your will for us, that we might show your love to others around us. And Father, we thank you for your promise that you will carry us through the difficulties of life if we will trust in you, if we will follow you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's time for us to receive an offering. And 
even during these difficult times, some of you have been extremely faithful in your giving to our church. And we want to thank you for that because during this time, it's been a time of trouble financially for us, to be honest. And your faithfulness has allowed us to continue our ministry and to be able to reach out to people who are hurting, to be able to continue to share the love of Christ with many people here and around the world through our missions program. And so I hope that uh, you will faithfully show your love for Christ by giving today uh, and you can click on the link and you can give online you can also send a check to the church office if you prefer but thank you for your faithfulness thank you for being a part of what God is doing by financially supporting impact let's pray together Heavenly Father thank you for uh, all that you have given to us and Father during this time of difficulty, we want to continue following you fully by giving to you our offering, by helping you, Father, to accomplish what you want as your partners financially. And Father, we thank you and we praise you for all of your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.